The Rigger Gambling Feed is back every Monday. Join myself, Joe House, Raheem Palmer, and John Jaszewski for East Coast Bias. Sunday's action recap and our favorite bets for Monday Night Football. Then on Tuesday, we got the Roster Diamond Show where I'll break down everything you need to know in the betting world. Plus, the East Coast Bias Boys will be back on Thursday to help you get your betting card sorted ahead of all the NFL action. And then on Fridays, it's me back with Warren Sharp, deep diving into the analytics. So be sure to subscribe on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. David? Yes? The second Republican debate is Wednesday night. Such as it is, yeah. Such as it is. It's going to be 9 p.m. Eastern time on Fox Business. Does this remind you of the playoff <laughs> game every year that's on NBA TV? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is going to be simulcast on Fox News, which is a little bit of a disappointment for me, just because I wanted to read the tweets about where is Fox Business and uh-huh. do I get it? <laughs> Moderators this time are Dana Perino, Stuart Varney, yeah. and Univision's Ilya Calderon. You think Stuart Varney and Dana Perino are planning a Richmond, North of Richmond question? <laughs> right off the top. They were so mad when that got scooped on that in the last debate. <laughs> we only have six candidates this time. Because they did not meet the polling threshold, at least not yet, we are going to miss the comedy stylings of Asa Hutchinson and Doug oh, Burgum. Dang. And most notably, we're going to miss Donald Trump, who is not going to be at the debate. He's going to be in Detroit with striking auto workers. Very Trumpian thing to do. Mm-hmm. So if the question for the first Republican debate was, who's the alternative to Trump? Yeah. The question for the second debate has to be, is there an alternative to Trump. And if I'm one of the moderators, I'm going to ask you about abortion. I'm going to ask about aid to Ukraine. We're going to hit the big topics. But I want to ask all the candidates, why are you the alternative? Because <laughs> I think that's an interesting policy question. Yeah. And at this stage in the race, and we've got voting in January. I think it's a really good practical question as well. 
I mean, is, is anybody on that stage interested in policy or, or at least in so much as their, their opinions are different than former President Trump's policy stances? I mean, it is an interesting policy question, I guess, in the abstract, but practically, does it is there does anyone really have an answer for this? I don't know if I anyone mean, on the answer. No one on the stage has an answer for why they should be the alternative to Trump. I mean, well, some mealy-mouthed ones, but yeah, they're going to be uh, avoiding him again, I'm sure. What did Vivek Ramaswamy say that I am Trumpism on steroids? Yeah. Or Trumpism 3.0? He might have said both of those things at one point or another. It's, it's like it's throwing a like, party and none of the cool none of your none of the cool uh, people at your school show up and you're just I mean, but it, it, you try to have the best party you can, right? You don't, you know, like clink your fork to your glass and say, "I just want to ask a question. What the hell are we all doing here?" You know. <laughs> and that what uh, Admiral Stockdale said when he was in the <laughs> vice presidential debate way back when. I guess it feels like it's the question of the hour because Ron DeSantis. I saw in Politico the other day, is now playing for second in Iowa. Mm -hmm. This was an anonymous official speaking to Politico who said a strong second place showing, meaning oh, in Iowa, God gives us an opportunity to go into New Hampshire and show success. Now, notice they're not talking about winning Iowa in this scenario, and they're not even talking about winning New Hampshire, where DeSantis yeah. was fifth in a poll the other day. New Hampshire not loving his anti-woke conservatism. Mm -mm. With the very notable exception of Joe Biden, I don't think you and I have ever seen a candidate execute the, I'm going to lose a bunch of primaries, but then I'm going to start winning a bunch of primaries strategy. Yeah, but in part of Biden's key to victory was that when he said seemingly nonsense stuff like, oh, if I just come in third, then that's the same as winning. He had, you know or a, a Democrat establishment, and to some extent, a media who, that was, you know, willing to buy it. Um, and, you know, people will buy this too. But it's crazy that the, the operating principle of the DeSantis campaign, I mean, judging from where it sort of nominally started, it's crazy that they're, that they're you know, the MO now is just like lower expectations. You know? If Bill and Cousin Sal did political betting more often... <laughs> Bill might have been off it ever since he teased Hillary Clinton and the Patriots a couple of years ago. <laughs> but if you're looking for good value, the Ron DeSantis drops out before Iowa bet, not saying that's going to happen, but if you're looking for value of something that could happen, not crazy. It's not crazy. I mean, it's, you know, he, he, he's going to, he, he's, he's like so many of these Republican governors that have come before where you're, so beholden to your donors or to your backers that you can't just drop out because you, you think it's time. But then at some point, you know, the money's going to absolutely dry up and you have to figure out whether or not you're in the way of the backer's new horse or whatever, you know, <laughs> you got to, that, that could happen. Especially for him because he basically is a super PAC at this point. Yeah. Rather than an actual autonomous candidacy. I mean, remember when the Super PAC put up the instructions for DeSantis to win the first debate mm -hmm. online? <laughs> I don't know if we've gotten any instructions over the last week or so about how to win the Fox business debate. One other quote that popped out to me this week from the Washington Post. I don't know if you saw the shock Washington Post ABC News poll from this morning that has Joe the Kobe stopper Biden 
trailing Donald Trump by 10 points, <laughs> 42 to 52. Now, that is way out of line with other polls, which doesn't mean it's wrong. And the Post noted that in the write-up. Listen to this. The difference between this poll and others, as well as the unusual makeup of Trump and Biden's coalitions in this survey, suggests it is probably an outlier. So you we get, are giving you, you get the extra poll. credit. <laughs> you get extra credit for. I mean, we need. This is all school references today. Can you tell school story again? Do when my kid get extra credit for saying, "I know I got these wrong." In advance of you grading them? Are you talking on a media podcast? Do you get extra credit? I think <laughs> no. probably so. On the poll, do we have to, it's like, well, you know, they were really wrong. No, 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 no. You can't get, you can't say they were wrong with that poll. They acknowledged that that poll was wrong before they, before anyone even read it. Somebody was tweeting like, this is probably the most responsible way to handle polling where you don't throw away a result. It seems weird. You don't unpublish it. You publish it. But then you add that kind of context where you say this is probably an outlier. Mm -hmm. Within that poll, people are mad, David, at Joe Biden about the economy, mm -hmm. about his handling of immigration. They are increasingly angry even about aid to Ukraine. But this sentence popped out for our purposes. Overall, 74% of adults say the president would be too old to serve another term. Yeah. Now, if people are worried about Joe Biden being too old. There's a fix for that. You can let Joe Biden do, say, one or more challenging media interviews mm -hmm. or do some press conferences or do more gaggles when he's walking to the helicopter. It just feels like if you want to put Joe Biden out there and prove that he is up to the job of being president, there's a way to do that. There's, that's a thing you can do. Yeah, that is a thing you can do. Even if it means answering a question from Peter Ducey, <laughs> it is a thing you can do. And you and I both know media access is not something that's mandated in the Constitution oh. or some document somewhere. And politicians tend to give it when they need it. Mm -hmm. When their polls don't look great, even outlier polls, as this one apparently is. But I just wonder when the moment comes. The team Biden pulls the lever and says, OK, he's got to do more than this. Well, I mean, it's, uh, you know, he's not it's not that different than the Trump calculus in some ways. He thinks he's got a, you know, a red carpet rolled out for the nomination, which he does. And they're going to say, well, we, you know, there'll be plenty of time for that later on. Let's just stand back and let Trump continue to self-immolate or whatever and see in the rest of the party just sort of cower in the shadow of the flames uh and, and then you know we'll pray you know he'll look fine up there against trump and i think that there's a, a logic to that but again you know he really benefited four years ago from the sort of air of inevitability that he brought along with him to the campaign trail and uh this being the sort of abiding lingering question shatters that sort of sense of inevitability which doesn't do him any favors that inevitability four years ago kicked in at after South Carolina, and it kicked in very, very quickly. It was there yeah. was there was not all you were not find a lot of political reporters that say Joe Biden is inevitable until that moment. Right this time, there absolutely is because he doesn't have any opponents in the Democratic primary. And barring a very, very strange scenario where J.B. Pritzker starts running for president, or Gavin Newsom starts running for president, or something happens like that, maybe maybe giving interviews doesn't happen until 2024. 
Maybe you just decide it's not worth it because yeah. you're still playing for the general. And as you say, most polls have him tied or very close to tied with Donald Trump in that election. Debates Wednesday night. You're going to want to check out Tara Palmieri's pod. Somebody's got to win for post-game reaction. I'm going to be in Simi Valley, David. Ooh. At the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library for nice. the debate. And I will have my own take on what the debate was like and what it was like to cover the debate. Can't wait to talk to some of my favorite political reporters, recorder in hand, <laughs> on Thursday morning. All right, coming up on today's pod, we got weekend football audio, including that Taylor Swift story you might have seen, and a kicker who didn't get a Hollywood ending. Plus, streaming is coming for sports. Get to know your New York Times reporter, USC versus a free press, and the old score says he's still got it. All that and much more on the press box, a part of the ringer podcast network. Hello, media consumers, Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Erica Cervantes here. Let's do some weekend audio, David. Let's do it. To get us going. This has become my new favorite segment on the press box. Number one, I want to take you to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, where there was a Taylor Swift viral moment that also incidentally involved a football game. <laughs> I remember being a little surprised when I saw that Fox was sending their number one crew to Chiefs Bears mm -hmm. because it seemed like an awful game and in fact was, in football terms, an awful game. Yeah. But what a content gift was dropped into their laps when Taylor Swift showed up and sat in the box and cheered on Travis Kelsey, who she may or may not be dating. I was thinking about Wait. this. <laughs> may or may not be dating, like, like the sources are unclear, or you're just saying the dating might be a sham, as our well, own Nor Princiati would incest. I would I would say that there are other people at the ringer more qualified to answer that question than us. Okay. Just letting people know why we're here. Okay. I was thinking, like, how many people in popular culture in the world would be big enough to sit in an NFL stadium and their mere presence there would change the nature of the NFL game that they were attending. Like we know the NFL uh, is the biggest live content anywhere mm -hmm. in this country. I mean, how many people we see celebrities in the box. Sure. There can't be that many of them where you're just like, Oh my God. She's in the box. And now this game has kind of become about Chiefs Bears and also her at the same time. I I don't know. I mean, the dating component is obviously key, right? If it was sure. Taylor Swift, friend of the owner or something, that Clark, might be Clark different. Hunt presents Taylor yeah. Swift. Um so yeah, I mean, there's other people that if they were dating a prominent NFL player, I think would get uh, some level of attention, but Taylor's pretty close to being on a plateau of her own. I think right? so. I, I mean, that... there's been so many stories about who she's dating over the years. It's become its own sort of, its own sort of genre, um, which is sort of interesting to see that intersect with the NFL. I mean, that was part, one of the most just sort of subliminally intriguing parts is watching the NFL coverage point the camera at her and not just say, Hey, we're, you know, doing the Taylor Swift dating cycle here. This was funny from Fox's A-team of Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson discussing 
Taylor Swift's NFL fandom. Unbelievable. Quite the day for the Chiefs, 241-0. By the way, I thought Taylor said she was an Eagles fan last year. Wasn't that in Eagles shirt, one of the songs? I guess not anymore. No. Allegiances change fast. <laughs> I think my, I think my... <laughs> Context there is that both Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson are New Jersey guys. So. <laughs> Very sensitive um, to the Eagles fandom switching sides. Yeah, well, we see that a lot around here. Uh, number two, David, let me take you to Eugene, Oregon, where somebody finally unplugged the power strip on the Coach Prime content machine. Oh, Lord. Colorado lost to Oregon 42-6. to And ESPN went to some footage of Oregon coach Dan Lanning talking to his team and Lanning making a contrast between Oregon and Colorado. <laughs> the Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference. Oof. They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. Now, does it undermine the point slightly that he invited the ESPN camera to <laughs> observe him saying that we're fighting for wins, not clicks? Uh, yes, but I think that's sort of beside the point, right? <laughs> Everybody's fighting for wins. Uh, and you know, everybody wants you to know that they're fighting for wins. And so you're fighting for clicks to get the word out. Is the college football program that is being bankrolled by Phil Knight <laughs> avoiding the attention economy? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, funny, later in the day, I checked the Oregon football Twitter account uh-huh. after the game, and they showed the Oregon duck with a finger up over its mouth, like, shh. And it said, <laughs> playing for wins. No, but see, wow. you're tweeting this out, Oregon football team. <laughs> this is actually the place where clicks happen. I just want to point that out. Uh, number three, David. Let me take you to South Bend, Indiana. Great. You and I are very tentative about advancing the thing in our culture is like professional wrestling thesis. Always, yeah. But there is a bit of a trend piece, and I actually saw this on Awful Announcing, that college coaches are now cutting wrestling promos. Mm -hmm. Context here is that earlier in the week, Lou Holtz went on the McAfee show and criticized Ohio State coach Ryan Day's program is being soft. Then Ohio State beat Notre Dame Saturday night. The sideline reporter, Catherine Tappan, went up to talk to Ryan Day, and by God, that's a highly paid coach's music. <laughs> but it came down to the wire, and what can you say about the performance from your quarterback, Kyle McCord, to finish that drive? Toughness. Toughness. That's it. Physicality, cross the board, finish it off, having guts. You know, like I like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. What he said about our team, what he said about our team, I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio, and it's always been Ohio against the world. And it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids, and we got a tough team. <laughs> Has it always been Ohio against the world? Uh, well, I'm sure it feels that way inside Ohio. I love that because let's imagine a world where Lou Holtz did oh not God. make comments about Ohio State. Do you think Ryan Day would have come into that game saying, hey, guys, everybody out there believes in us. <laughs> yeah, We are yeah. properly rated. 
So we're not doing this despite anybody. Let's just go out there and win the game because, you know, we want to. Yeah. The world famous somebody believes in us team. Yes. Yeah. He would not have found anybody else if Lou Holtz hadn't said that. (laughs) By the way, I don't think this is necessarily a wrestling promo that that certainly had a fired up Ric Flair energy. Uh Uh-huh. That to me sounded like a college football message board. (laughs) At its more basic level, the sort of grievance. The us against the world, the throw it in the face of the doubter after a win. Yeah. I, I know that language. It's not on Monday Night Raw necessarily. It's on Buck Nuts or Orange Bloods. Come on now. You think the think? folks on those message boards enjoyed that promo though? Absolutely they did. He's speaking their language. Well, this thing happens in college football where you believe a certain critique about your own coach. Uh huh. And then somebody else voices it. So you get mad at the other person for saying what you know is true. Uh huh. Or believing your heart is true. There had to be a little bit of that going on with Ohio oh, State. Oh, for sure. Thanks to Nick Field for pointing out that club. We got this one, David, from Katie Davidson. And this is from Pittsburgh. Last Monday night, where the Browns were taking on the Steelers. Mm hmm. And unfortunately, Browns running back Nick Chubb suffered a gruesome injury. Last I checked, it looks like a torn MCL, which is better than they had feared. But I want you to listen to how ESPN's Joe and Troy handled that moment. I am told that the replay of Nick Chubb getting injured is not to be seen. Yeah, it's we're not going to show it. It's... Uh, it's it's as bad as you can imagine. What do we make of the practice of not showing the replay of a gruesome injury like Chubbs? Oh, it's so tough. I think we can all agree that there is a line, right? Uh, bone popping through skin or something, you know, blood squirting everywhere. There's certainly a line. Um, you know, there have been instances... Uh, of injury in the past where, you know, you see the uh, players from the team, other co- teammates and players from the other team are just sort of like recoiling in, in fear and disgust. Uh, I think the line is, you know, certainly to the, to the other, on the other side of that. Um, the Chubb injury was really gruesome. Uh, but it's something that like, I'd say most viewers have seen before. And so I, I do understand that there's like kind of two sides to it. Um, what strikes me is on, you know, re-listening to that part of the telecast is that they decided not to say it, but then also d- declined to describe it, right? Uh, I mean, this isn't a radio broadcast, but at the same time, you might have been able to do a little bit more to take the place of the of the video. Um, you know, you there's the there's two things at play. There's the the sort of uh, you know what you is it, there's the viewer and what you feel is appropriate for the viewer, the viewing audience to see. And then there's the production, there's the broadcast and the, and their desire to not seem like they're over exposing something or indulging in it, you know, mm-hmm. just like, you know, playing off the car crash for clicks uh, or, you know, whatever. So, and those two things are often the same. Um, but I think even the second one, might be might push it in a little bit more of a puritanical direction i don't know what do you think it's hard i mean the reflex 
from me is I think the same as it would be from you. It's like, if it's gross, if a body part is going in the wrong direction, then of course you don't show it. Of course, you're not just going to show something gruesome and awful and a person's lowest moment, especially over and over again. If you want to make the devil's advocate case for it, it's that it is news. It is a big story within Mm -hmm. the world of this game. Nick Chubb's a great player. There are huge consequences for him for this moment. And, you know, way down the line, consequences for Browns fans, right? And gamblers and fantasy players and all those kinds of things, right? It is, you are covering a story and it is the story that is happening in that moment. There can't be anything bigger and more important than that. Mm-hmm. So, and it's some, part of the game. It's inextricably part of the game. It's inextricably part of the game. It's so not like something extraneous sh- happened. It's not like someone fell out of the stands or something and hurt themselves. You know, I mean, this is a player playing the game, getting tackled uh in the course of doing his job well and that's the twist on the puritanical thing you mentioned like because you're right you you in the one hand you say, oh we, we you couldn't you the audience couldn't possibly tolerate this you couldn't see this but then you also wind up showing just the happy parts of football mm-hmm. and none of the bad parts of football we know there are gruesome injuries all the time how many running backs are out for the year this year already mm-hmm. jk dobbins nick chubb and list goes on and on and so you wind up showing a version of the game that isn't really the game. It doesn't allow people who are watching to appreciate the consequences of it. I think if we're going to have this discussion, we also have to get in the fact that on Monday night, we didn't see this replay on television. But dude, if you got on Twitter anytime yeah, it's in the right next there. two hours, you you have like a hundred people seemingly throwing this into your timeline Mm -hmm. now i don't know what which side that argues for but it's funny that it has become now the big injury and the gruesome replay kind of unavoidable yeah whether you want to see it or not i mean i was looking for this clip today and i wound up seeing it like twice more i was like god (laughs) i did not actually want to look for that but i even trying to find the sanitized clip i couldn't find it Mm mm-hmm it's a very, very delicate thing. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's an answer that honors all of those things, which is discretion, which is, you know, again, not showing something just for the hell of it, you know, and, and, and waltzing over the line of exploitation. And then also giving people all this information and showing them what happened. But the network sure seemed to have settled on not. The social media component is interesting because on the one hand, you can, they can say, well, if you want to see it, you can see it. We're just trying to be, you know, we're trying to use our best judgment here. But it, you know, but it also cuts the other way too. It's just like, you're not actually shielding anybody from anything who, you know, you're just declining. You just would prefer not to be seen as someone who is over, you know, excited about this thing. I don't know. It, it, the Chubb injury was, I mean, just from a purely physiological and, you know, cinema, cinegraphic, is that a word? (laughs) Sure. Perspective, just exactly on the line. And I think it's going to invite this sort of conversation because it was wild and disturbing, but, you know, not graphic uh, or not extremely so. I don't know. It is is a, a tough call. All right, finally, and this was my favorite moment from the weekend, Clemson, South Carolina on Saturday, David. 
Oh. So fourth quarter of Clemson, Florida State, a little over a minute left. They're tied. Mm-hmm. Clemson is trying to pull an upset. And they send out a kicker named Jonathan Whites. Now, we hear all the time that this football player has a quote-unquote great story. Jonathan Whites really does have a very cool story. And before he attempted the go-ahead kick, ESPN's Sean McDonough laid it out for us. Well, a minute 49 to go. And here comes Jonathan Whites. And if you joined us late, Whites was in the football program the previous four seasons as a backup. In four years here, never attempted a field goal. Kicked three extra points, three for three, one each of the last three years. Most recently on senior day when they let him kick one at the end of a route against Miami. He left the program knowing that Robert Gunn would be the kicker this year, even though he had a year of eligibility left. Gunn has struggled. Dabble Sweeney's son said, Jonathan White still has eligibility. He's in school. He's in grad school, doing it online in Charleston. Dabble called him Sunday. Whites was here Monday. Kicked well during the week. And he made a 30-yard field goal to start the scoring today. He's made three extra points. Dabble Sweeney said it's either going to be great or terrible. (laughs) It's either going to be great or terrible. Now, with that long a preamble, how do you think the story of kicker Jonathan Whites is going to turn out, David? I'm on the edge of my seat. I, I, I don't know. Here's the answer. From Sean McDonough. This would be the ultimate greatness. Middle of the field. From the 20 yard line. A 30 yard kick. And it is no good. <laughs> no good. Well, Dabo was right. I mean, Dabo was right. I just feel we talk all the time about announcers cursing kickers by saying they haven't missed from over 50 yards in six seasons. Mm -hmm. But there's also a rule that goes with the length of the lead up to the kick. (laughs) If it's almost a minute long. Well, you got time to fill. But yeah, I I get where you're going with this. Yeah. Kicker's probably in trouble. And after he missed, Sean McDonough said something like, well, you know, the Hollywood writers are on strike. <laughs> Coming up in 30 seconds, how well do you know your favorite New York Times reporter? Because now you could know where they went to high school. But first, David, let's do the overworked Twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the Press Box Pod where they are always gratefully received. With apologies to all the Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey tweets, this week's big winner comes to us from the great state of New Jersey. Yeah. David, anytime you can join two huge news stories that also happen to be New Jersey stories, you got to do it. Mm -hmm. In this case, the two stories being the indictment of New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez in a bribery scheme. Yep. First and second, David Brooks's airport tweet <laughs> was an overworked Twitter joke to write. Anybody mad at Bob Menendez is forgetting how much lunch costs at Newark Airport. Yeah, that's great. 
Thanks to Greg Horowitz. If you're waiting for New Jersey resident David Shoemaker to call on Menendez to resign, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. How can you be? I'm sure a million people tweeted this too. But you have to work really hard to get a chorus of people online to come out in defense of Newark Liberty Airport. (laughs) (laughs) So I heard one theory from an informed journalist that they thought Brooks was joking because if you read his columns, you know, he said something about inflation in the tweet. He has been very high on the Biden economy. Mm -hmm. And then he was trying to make a funny. That's why he like left the bourbon in the picture. Yeah. And he just didn't have the comedy chops to pull it off. Oh, never. Or the willingness apparently to clean it up afterwards. But you're right. America is rallying around Newark Liberty Airport and its restaurants. Oh my God. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, The Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. All right, David, in the notebook dump, there is something happening at the New York Times that's interesting. Reporters there are getting new reporter bios. Click on somebody's <laughs> list of stories. Now you will get a full-on, larger, a Walter Isaacson-length portrait of who is writing this story. Well, not quite that long. And the reason is, well, the reason is the internet. There was an internal New York Times memo unearthed by Vanity Fair's Charlotte Klein last week that had the Times arguing this. 
readers tend to seek out information about a reporter in moments of doubt or agitation. When they encounter a viewpoint they dislike in our reporting or they perceive inaccuracy or bias. So the Times' solution to this is to tell you more about the people that are reporting the news. Mm-hmm. So I clicked on the bio of tech reporter Mike Isaac. We know Mike Isaac. Written a ton about Facebook. Yeah. Book about Uber. And here's what his bio now has. A whole section called What I Cover. That doesn't just say tech, but spells out Meta, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. Okay. A long four-paragraph section called My Background, which goes deep into his bio and doesn't just list the other publications he's written for. Another section called Journalistic Ethics, which spells out not only the fact that he wants to be accurate and fair, but that he does not own stock in the companies he covers. Mm. In Silicon Valley, which is something maybe normal newspaper readers don't know. And then finally, a contact section, which has his number and Twitter handle and all those kinds of things. This is really fascinating. Do we think it is fascinating for somebody like me who is interested in journalists? Or do you think you head off or maybe soften criticism from readers by telling them more about reporters i i think it might work some in that direction it also might draw more criticism you know people that now know more about you and control you more effectively if they're so inclined um i can't imagine you know not as a writer as a as an employee just if you know the feeling of someone coming to you and saying can you please write 1500 word this 1500 word bio of yourself here are the categories we're going to need to see, get those approved by some hot by, by the, you know, you're going to have to run it up the chain when you're done and make sure everybody agrees on it. I, I think I would be paralyzed by that for weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I, maybe this, I was about to make fun of it, but maybe this is the sort of, you know, lo-fi big idea rollout that the New York Times should be doing more of, as opposed to trying to iterate into new, you know, genres. I don't know. What do you think? Well, there's that old theorem that anytime somebody would write you a nasty email back in the days, back when readers would actually send you emails, if you wrote back a nice response or was just like, hey, we agree to disagree. Thank you for reading. I appreciate it. The person Mm -hmm. would often back down or soften their reaction because you turned out to be an actual human. Yeah, of course. Rather than an AI bot. So I bet telling them a little bit more about who we are, who New York Times reporters are, would help. I mean, there feels like there's a whole genre of press criticism now that really doesn't have anything to do with who the people are, what their journalistic ethics are, what their policies about buying stock are, and are just sort of wrestling promos, if you use mm-hmm. that phrase again. But yeah, I think for the people you're kind of trying to get to subscribe to the paper, sure. By the way, one sentence from Mike Isaac's bio popped out to me. He writes, though I've moved more than 30 times across the United States, I mainly grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, where I attended high school. What? Record scratch. Mike Isaac. We would know if it was Pascal, right? (laughs) Mike Isaac go to Arlington Heights? I don't know. But now, 
the but before if i wanted to find out something about mike isaac i wouldn't know where to go now i know i can just go to his new york times bio i'll go i guess that doesn't have enough information mike isaac or any of his classmates please get in touch we'd like to know even more about your background as interested readers of the new york times <laughs> let's talk about streaming david because this week we had the latest installment in the death of cable series We writers love writing about the death of things. Great headline, easy to explain to our readers and our editors. Uh Uh-huh. We did the death of newspapers for 25 years. Oh, yeah. We did the death of the TV networks for 40 years. Mm Mm-hmm. I was reading something the other day from the death of the TV network era, and it was talking about how there was this new technology that was going to kill the networks because it would allow people to watch shows at times other than the show was aired. Mm -hmm. And it would also allow people to just skip all the network TV offerings and watch whatever they wanted at Mm -hmm. any time. This technology technology was not streaming. It was the VCR. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of funny. The new installment in the Death of Cable story is that next month, just in time for NBA season, the Mac streaming app is going to have a sports tier. Ooh. Uh, any argument, right, in favor of cable now says, okay, well, you really don't want it anymore. You don't need it anymore, but but sports, but live sports mm-hmm. in the same place. Max is going to have a sports tier that is free for subscribers until February. After that, it's going to cost $9.99 a month. It's going to have live games from the NBA, importantly to Ringer people and Ringer fans, also baseball Hockey, college basketball, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you're already paying ten to twenty dollars a month for Max, depending on how ad free you want to be. Then you would tack on another ten dollars, let's say, in the scenario for the sports tier. So thirty-ish dollars a month, and then we'll see how you're spending your rest of your streaming dollars. Yeah, kind of feels like this is for a particular type of media consumer. Maybe someone who says, I want to know, I want all the great HBO shows. Yeah. I want a bunch of movies, including Warner Brothers movies. Mm-hmm. We know Max is going to have some form of live to semi-live CNN. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you got your news. And now I can have some sports. Hmm. So per- perhaps there's somebody that that's most of a TV package. <laughs> Minus maybe a Disney subscription. Yeah, could I conceivably else? just spend 20 more dollars and get all of the rest of the channels too? Would that be a deal <laughs> they'd be interested in making? <laughs> well, that's what it comes down to, right? Especially for people who are sports completists like us. Mm-hmm. Like, what if I want all the sports on TV, not just sports that Turner owns the rights to? Yeah. Well, then I'm going to go have to get another package somewhere else, another streaming package. Yeah. That package probably is going to include the Turner Networks, so I'll be able to get those important NBA games. Mm-hmm. And then also I'll have to maybe add a sports tier onto that one. So I don't know about an actual full-blown, you know, maladjusted sports fan wanting something like this, but it's interesting. Also, the tier is going to be called the Bleacher Report Sports Tier. Okay. How, how do we feel about Bleacher Report continuing to become the go-to brand of the Turner family? 
Uh, I've always been sort of nonplussed by it, but okay. I mean, I'm not <laughs> here to complain. Just, to, I mean, I, I would forward this to uh, to Zazlev right now. If we're okay. gonna stop, if we're gonna be renaming something stuff, I would. Uh, why not just like simplify everything? Can it not just be Max Sports? Sure, I would. Think I mean, because so. what you're doing, if you're, you're you're right, if you're a sports fan, you want you will almost certainly want more sports than just this ma the Max platform will provide. So if this is a good decision, it's it's more flag planting than anything else. We want to be one of the four to five indispensable apps a couple years from now, right? Sure. And, and have some indispensable and live that, sports. Yeah, this, but this I mean- it, NBA playoffs. No, but it's sort of separate from sports. It's, I mean, it, the, the, the calculus is bigger than sports. It's, we, you know, if, if, if all, we, we want to be one of the premier three to four or five apps that everybody has. And at that point, if you're a sports fan, you have four or five apps on your phone and you say, which app is this on? You want to, it's, it's simple. You go to Max Sports, not the Bleacher Report platform on Max. <laughs> Couple more quick ones before we go. I want to talk to you about the case of Luca Evans. He is a Southern California news group reporter covering USC. Oh, God. I know him a little bit because he was on the Bronny James beat. Uh huh. Covering LA high schools for the LA Times. This is his first season covering SC for his new employer. You might have seen that he got suspended from covering SC for two weeks mm -hmm. by USC. <laughs> they were mad at him, they said, for talking to football players when they don't want him to be talking to football players. When the players don't, just to be clear, or when the team does not? Well, I think the, the relevant one here is when the team does not. Right. Because if you're covering the Cowboys, of course the Cowboys want you to restrict your questions to Dak Prescott of to when Dak Prescott is behind the podium during those allotted press conference media moments, both after a game and that one time during the week, right? Mm -hmm. That's when they want you to talk to Dak Prescott. But if you get Dak Prescott's telephone number and you can text him during the week and he will text you back or call you back and give you information about the Cowboys, that's fair game. Sure. In the pros. It doesn't exactly work like that in college because as part of this protect the players who are college players who are used to be what we used to be what we called amateurs, we say you're not allowed to do that mm -hmm. outside of prescribed times. And if you do that, you're breaking the rules. And this isn't just like you're, you know, you're waiting outside of biology 101 to run into a football player and get some quotes from him. These are things that are really funny, and I'll just give you one example of this that Luca Evans did. This was a profile he wrote of a running back named Quentin Joyner of USC, and this is how the story begins. Before his first appearance in front of a, the dreaded USC practice field media backdrop, freshman running back Quentin Joyner waited off to the side, quietly consulting Braylon Shelby for advice. Shelby himself was a freshman and spoken to the media all of one time in his USC career. But he was there waiting after Wednesday's practice to take questions too. And so he suddenly became a six foot five, 245 pound confidant. Did they tell you what to say? Shelby asked a visibly nervous joiner. Just talk about the team, Shelby told him, offering some words of encouragement. But half an hour later, when told via phone call of the observed exchange, joiner's father, Quincy, cackled. That sounds just like him, Quincy said in between bouts of laughter. So he's running, he's writing about the running back shyness. 
And before this little press availability is about to start, he is observing the way the running back is talking to another player. Mm -hmm. That's out of bounds, according to USC. The journalism doesn't begin in their mind until, we say okay, first question. Now, there were a number of other things they listed, almost all of which, if you are a reasonable observer of the press, you could chalk up to Luca Evans wanting to go get news. Uh huh. But to me, when I read that particular example, that's when I said, you got to be kidding me here. I'm supposed to close my eyes and turn off my internal journalism sensors to things that happen in public view right before a media availability. Yeah, that's the thing. It happens right in front of you. You're not going to, you can't report on that. It's absolutely insane. If someone was standing next to the podium awaiting their time up there and they like, you know, drop trow and flip the bird to everybody <laughs> in the audience, we were just, that doesn't count. I'm sorry. You've agreed to our rules here. That player was privately dropping trow and flipping the bird. <laughs> Or coach, perhaps. Heaven forbid somebody blow out their MCL while they're waiting to get on the podium. Then nobody, nobody oh would God. ever. That'd be like the, the black box forever. <laughs> and of course, what Lincoln Riley, the coach, would tell you is, I'm trying to protect the players. I'm trying not to create distractions. But the best thing that the media can do in a case like a reporter getting suspended for silly things is to create their own distraction. And that's yeah. what happens here. Lots of people tweeted about Luca Evans. Bill Plaschke, the LA Times, wrote a whole column about it, comparing USC's media policies to Moscow and Beijing. <laughs> I love just, the, just that right amount of sports writerly overstatement. And this is my favorite part of it. So he got suspended by SC from covering the team for two weeks. Okay. But SC's game Saturday was at Arizona State. And the Arizona State SID, whose name is Doug Tamaro or Tamaro, on Twitter was like, oh, I read about that. He's approved to cover the game. <laughs> because, of course, they control their own home press buff. Of course. So he has no reason to support SC, the conference rival, who are leaving the conference and basically destroyed the Pac-12. Eh. He's but now improved. is SC gonna is gonna extend the suspension because it was dodged? Particularly, <laughs> we're tacking on another day because you couldn't you got to the ASC press box. No, what happened is what always happens. Lincoln Riley called Luca Evans. They both admitted <clears throat> they had perhaps should have handled the situation differently, and the suspension was lifted. How should Luca Evans have handled the situation differently? You mean I did he know. react inappropriately to that to the suspension? In fairness, I don't know everything that. They were upset at him about. So maybe he said, okay, I could have handled one thing differently or something. I don't know. But it's one of those things where by mutual, by mutual agreement, Luca is right. covering USC again. Last one for you, Dave, and then we'll get out of here. The old score says he's still got it. <laughs> How many old guys still got it? News cycles have we had involving Martin Scorsese? Oh, God. He's been he's been an old guy still having it since like the 80s, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, I, the first one I put on here definitely was The Departed, which happened 17 years ago. Damn. He won the belated Oscar. Then there was another old guy still got it for The Wolf of Wall Street in 2013. I don't know if his movie Silence with Adam Driver quite rose to that level, though a lot of people like that movie. The Irishman 2019. 
Definitely a lot of old guys who still had it in that movie, including Joe Pesci. Yes. Even if it wasn't very good. And then we've got Killers of the Flower Moon. I saw our pal Zach Barron has a new profile out of Scorsese and GQ. And this is a tenet of the old guy still got it piece. Uh Uh-huh. Or should I say something we always read? The subject musing about his mortality. Sure. Martin Scorsese still got it. And so does David Shoemaker, because it's time for David Shoemaker guesses the strain pun headline. Yeah. Last Monday's headline about the indictment of a Biden son was Hunter Becomes the Hunted. Mm-hmm. Today's headline comes from listener Tommy. It's from the Charlotte Observer All right. in 1988. Wait, in 1988? Someone tweeted this, and then I went and found this original story in newspapers.com. It ran, David, in 1988 in the Carolinas section of the paper. All right. Boy, is it a fantastic Carolinas section kind of story. Fifth graders in the area, David, had invented their own language, new words, and were putting these new words in a dictionary. We know this practice as lexicography. Lexicography. Lexicography turns out to be fun according to the Carolina section of the Charlotte Observer. So what was the Observer's strained pun headline? Fun lexicography? Mm-hmm. Le- uh, uh, lexic- it's American. a blast. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> the producer's a kind of... Uh, um, uh, what, if we, what if we shorten lexic- it to Lex... Oh, better than Lex? <laughs> but uh, is Le- Lex close? Um, uh, Le- the the joys of Lex. The, the joy, joy, the joy of, Lex. of Lex. Yes, fifth graders discovered joy of Lex. That's great. So inappropriate. <laughs> P- pretty edgy for the Charlotte Observer in 1988. 88. By the way, the story was written by Dan Nielsen of the Gastonia Bureau. Dan Nielsen and Mike Isaac, please get in touch. (laughs) He is David Shoemaker. I'm Brian Curtis. Production Magic by Erica Cervantes. Coming up on Thursday on Pressbox Final Edition, we have a twofer. The longtime New York Times reporter Adam Nagorny will join us to talk about his excellent new history of The Times, which is called The Times. I can't wait to pick his brain on Jason Blair and WMD and AG Solzberger and many other subjects. And on that same episode, I will have a report from the GOP debate here in Southern California. Plus, of course, more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then, David. See you later, Brian. 